Welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a leading technology platform that helps clients manage their financial crime risk exposure through a combination of innovation, insight, and intelligence. Our podcasts aim to bring you insight, views, emerging trends, and thought leadership from industry leaders and our own financial crime experts. Find out more about Themis at crime.financial. In this episode, Themis financial crime researcher Elizabeth Humphrey interviews Linda Basket, global head of financial crime at ComputerShare and former financial crime director for Aon's UK entities on the role of tech in fighting financial crime, data protection and more, as well as her experience working in the financial crime sector as a woman. This conversation is part of a wider series of conversations that Themis is holding with leading women working in financial crime and tech, which are both traditionally male-dominated industries, about their experience and expertise. Linda Basket has 17 years experience working in financial service firms and has worked across public and private sectors covering financial crime prevention, as well as data protection and information security issues. Linda began her career in the public sector as a financial crime investigator before moving into the private sector, working at the intersection of tech and financial crime at Aon and now at ComputerShare. Today's conversation gives us the chance to consider Linda's experience and perspectives from this rich career. And so, Linda, I want to welcome you today to the Themis podcast. It's wonderful to have you on. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Great. So I thought we could kick off today's conversation uh, with a question about the challenges and opportunities of working at the intersection of financial crime and tech. Um, would you mind discussing a bit how um, reg tech as, as a sector has evolved since you entered the space? Um, it's definitely evolved over the years. Um, there's, a, there's a lot more companies now offering um, a variety of different services and each one seems to have its own unique selling point. Um, I think providers have recognised that people want more than just a pass-fail based on the criteria set out in the Joint Money Laundering Steering Group guidance notes. Um, Many providers are now offering document verification checks, uh, biometrics and most importantly they can API into your existing systems which reduces keying time and keying errors. Would you mind discussing some of the key priorities in your mind for the sector right now, um, given that it has evolved so much? Yeah, would you mind sort of discussing what you see as key right now? Um, I think reputational risk has been high on the agenda of firms I've worked with. Um, So searching for adverse press as well as standard checks is becoming really important. Um, Also trying to build out as many connections and I think one of the themis products actually does that for you and helps you connect people together to build a, a bigger prick picture of your threats um, that's that's a really good thing there is one issue that I think we all have though and it's the quality of our data mm-hmm. so numerous firms grow by acquisition and have historic data which is structured in different ways And some of it isn't even structured in a way that really helps any sort of automatic searching or really causes challenges with globalized approaches. Fundamentally, if we don't, as businesses, have good, detailed and meaningful data to search, 
we won't get good results from any system, even if it has all the bells and whistles, it's still the case that it won't produce us easily the things that we want. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess maybe data will be one of the sort of concerns that you raise when I ask this question, but what have you found to be some of the sort of biggest challenges as well as the biggest breakthroughs and successes in terms of tech, uh, in terms of tech innovation for, for the industry? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Getting the data right is, is a big issue. I think the other problem from a more operational perspective is reducing noise. Um, when I first implemented a system at Aon, we set very, very broad search criteria. But then we created a situation where the key information we were looking for was drowned out by a really large percentage of information that was irrelevant. Um, so using tech that can offer you that ability to, to introduce more targeted searching is really important. Because um, it you just, you know, at, at all financial crime, we're always looking for a very small percentage of wrongdoers in amongst our genuine legitimate clients and customers. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we, it's the same with any alerts, it will always be a small percentage. Um, having a documented rationale for your choices and your decisions in respect of any tech, as well as testing the impact of any changes that you're going to make before you make them is really vital for senior management visibility and also any future regulatory scrutiny. Um, because it, these things evolve and you need to be able to document your journey from your starting position to your current position um, in a way that it can be subjected to a level of questioning and challenge, but it's answered. In your own career, uh, you have worked to develop, and I quote um, from your bio, a more risk-based proportionate approach in an anti-financial crime framework. And trying to use tech to create smoother processing of controls. Would you mind discussing these professional milestones and how you sort of see these priorities as key for the reg tech industry? Of course, um, the risk-based proportionate approach starts with knowing where your risks are. So all firms should have a detailed financial crime risk assessment, which identifies where the business, i.e their products, services, distribution channels, clients, um, colleagues, et cetera, are where they're exposed to a specific type of financial crime risk and also where they, are, they aren't. There are a number of business lines in both Aon and ComputerShare which don't present an external financial crime risk and where the internal risk is minimal. So applying blanket controls to a business, it just doesn't work. Um, so you need you need to get your baseline and your assessment done so the controls that you then Im implement are proportionate to the risk presented by the activities of that particular business mm -hmm. within the wider firm. As a, as a slight aside, when I was dabbling in data privacy, I have implemented two different types of technology solution in my time. Um, at Aon, it was a due diligence screening piece of tech. Um, and a DLP system at Mercer, the solution at Aon reduced the number of searches an individual had to perform by having a broader search conducted by one system with one click of a button. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, the process had multiple stages before and they all had to be completed, but they were all very, very manual. The system provided us with the functionality of 
complete the information that you need press a button and the system does the searching for you mm-hmm. um that system also allowed us to build our own workflow and putting hard stops between each of the steps in the process so you couldn't move on to the next level of the process without having completed the previous one which again just helps make sure that all the steps in the in the process and all the controls are actually completed in the right order at the right time um <clears throat> it allows much faster if more efficient searching and mm. um yeah just com- completes everything in in one go from a data loss prevention technology perspective the important element of those systems is to get your trigger criteria right um, I spent a long time refining Mercer's criteria uh, so legitimate emails weren't stopped because you initially would think, you know, I want to stop anything going out with the national insurance number on it. So you have a code of two letters, um, six, six numbers, is it? And one letter for a UK national insurance number. But then you'll find there's many other numbers like um, company registration numbers, maybe tax numbers that have the same or a very similar format and you end up stopping emails that need to go um, that are purely legitimate so a lot of it's sort of trial and error um, takes a lot of time to to get it right but when working on implementation of these types of systems I really try to put myself in the position of the user so the Mm -hmm. person in ops who's going to sit there having to work this system is it easy to work is it intuitive does it make logical sense um also the customer because you don't want to put a process in place that is going to slow down services to that customer um i've never worked in a, in a banking environment so perhaps haven't got like immediate or, or a trading environment don't we really have immediate kind of deadlines but still customers and clients expect a certain response within a a period of time so having systems that are are just going to slow that process really isn't advantageous to anybody and um the business as well trying to think about it from the business perspective Mm -hmm. you know what do they need to do to run their business on a a day-to-day basis and how do you complement that not cause a problem with that that um process and what they're doing fundamentally um a clunky system which hampers productivity and delays customer outcomes is really not a successful one absolutely yeah i mean this is many of the conversations that we have at themis touch on how to achieve that as well i mean finding that balance of the sort of practical um you know practical element of making it easy to use, not hindering and really integrating it into the existing practices of business. I'm just going to pause the podcast here to let you know about Themis Search, an end-to-end SaaS screening and investigations platform that will help you to easily search, screen and monitor your clients, suppliers and third parties to check if they have any links to financial crime. It also allows you to perform a deep dive investigation and produce an editable enhanced due diligence report. It's updated every six hours with the latest data, including sanctions, adverse media, law enforcement and PEP status. We draw data from a wealth of sources, but also have our own proprietary Themis conviction data 
around different financial crime typologies, making Themis Search highly unique. Book a demo at crime.financial. Shifting a bit away from um, your sort of technical expertise and a bit more towards um, your personal perspectives on on your career, um, because part of the goal of today's conversation as um, an initiative that's part of the Women in Themis uh, initiative is to discuss women's experience in a male-dominated industry such as financial crime. So I'd like to ask, how would you describe your experience as a woman working in tech and in financial crime, both both sectors that are traditionally um, male dominated? Um, I honestly don't think I've ever felt any different to anybody else in the private sector. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my output has always spoken for itself and I always feel like I've received adequate and um, reasonable recognition for my efforts. Um, so when like you first posed that question, I, I initially think, oh, I, I don't know, I don't feel, I don't feel I've ever been disadvantaged or mm-hmm. anything like that. But just taking a little bit of a step back, I think sometimes I have received comments that potentially people wouldn't necessarily direct to a male colleague as much as a female colleague. Um, so I've, I've had comments a few times over the years that when I'm raising challenge, I'm being emotional. Um, and, I, and I do sort of, when, you know, when you do take that step back and think about it, you think, would, would someone actually say that to a man as, as much as they do a female? Um, but to be totally honest, it usually washes over me because I continue to explain what I mean. And in most cases, the explanation helps people understand my response. Um, I mean, in a recent situation when I was told I was being emotional, I probably was. And I think I said, yes, I am. And this is why. And then by the end mm-hmm. of the conversation, the person I was speaking to, I said to them, now do you understand why I'm being emotional? And the answer back was, yes, I do. So I also don't think it is bad to have an emotional response to certain things because certain things are going to naturally elicit that. Um, I did, I went to a, a girls' school for uh, senior school and, and uh, sixth form, which I think, again, at the time, you don't really realise, but now definitely um, developed women who were taught to believe we weren't any different from men. And I think that's somewhat stuck with me. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't really, it wasn't outwardly, you know, you are women, you're awesome. But it was growing very independent thought leadership style women. Um, And I think most of us have gone on to do, have pretty good careers from there. So maybe it's just part of that I think um I I would just say I I have experienced working with a number of women in the industry who in in my humble opinion I think are trying too hard um I completely understand how there is that need for a, a female colleague to feel they have to be perfect to be able to complete with compete with male colleagues um, I don't subscribe to that view personally. I think um, if you're always trying to aim to, for perfection, you'll never get there. So you just need to do your best, have faith in your own abilities. And I think you will get the recognition you deserve. Um, 
just from sort of yeah just just from being you but just please don't try too hard (laughs) yeah it's an unfortunate thing that I've I've witnessed as well and probably have been guilty of myself sort of um competing with other women feeling like there's a competition there and um rather than that we can sort of just learn from our environments and um you know really take ourselves seriously as professionals but not sort of overcompensating um absolutely I think that's something that um when we when we chatted about having this conversation really resonated with me um Mm -hmm. how would you describe your your key to success to young uh women and men uh starting out their careers in uh, both of these really dynamic industries um so the first thing that comes to mind is listen and um it's quite a broad sense of listening so um the first bit I would say is take the feedback that's given to you and work with it um people will most people will have your best interests at heart and will be trying to help you so when people are critiquing and making suggestions for how you can improve and develop then then take it take it and 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 run with it and and um use it to your advantage um listen to what's going on around you and and learn there's always going to be people that you're working with who've been doing the job for much longer than you have but they're your asset um they're the people that are going to teach you and it can be a two-way thing um they're going to teach you how to do things but there also might be people that you look at and think oh when I get to that level I would possibly do it slightly differently but they're just so hugely valuable to you for your career um it is also a long road to success um I sort of came out of of the school I was mentioning before and after university really hungry to achieve really ambitious and I would probably say it's only been in the last 10 years that I've kind of ended up in my career where I wanted to be um probably 20 years ago um it just doesn't it just doesn't happen that quickly Mm. um you and you have to experience different environments and different ways of approaching the area we work in in order to become a well-rounded individual and have a broader sense of um of what what's going on and and how best to achieve the end result um and say like yes I've probably been in the right place for the last 10 years um I kind of think now I'm probably considered by some to be young to have a global role um but I'm still listening because it's a very very different company to my previous one so I'm listening I'm learning I'm uh just absorbing everything that's going on at the moment to try and work out how to do it because it's I know what I did before in my previous role but it won't necessarily apply because everything's just that little bit different Mm -hmm. um and my one final tip would be when you find a manager who's keen to help you develop just take them up on it they will be the person that pulls you up and pushes you forward and that's happened to me a good couple of times um, in my career, and it, it's brilliant. And I think the, there's one particular manager I've had who has really helped me 
and hope they listen to this and know who they are. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I think your message about listening, I mean, it's very very important and it's so um I can tell your management uh must be wonderful because of your approach in that way the listening as a manager is such a such a powerful thing I think and um especially as someone starting out in my career I think you know I really look up to people who maintain that sort of curiosity and and humble um approach to to um developing as a professional um so I know you've worked both in the public and private sectors. Would you mind discussing some of the differences between the two? Um, And I suppose now that we've covered sort of the technical side of your work, as well as sort of your personal perspective, it will be interesting to hear from both those angles, um, you know, how they differ from a personal perspective and also in their approach to financial crime and tech. Yeah, so um, they are very different. I, I remember my first job when I moved from public sector to private sector. And my manager at the time kept saying to me, it's so different here. And I was like, it's not that different. Um, and I do think she used to have a view uh, that we used to, there was a, a famous UK TV programme in the 70s or 80s called The Sweeney. And um some people will know what I mean, but they, there were some police officers who used to drive around in fast cars wearing um, black roll necks and leather jackets and speaking in quite uncouth language. And I used to sit there and think it wasn't like that at all. Um, but actually, they, they are different. Um, I mean, I first started working in the UK Financial Intelligence Unit and this will show my age, I was typing (laughs) suspicious activity reports into the system because there was no automated straight through processing at the time. They were handwritten in Mm. those days and you used to have to sit and type them on. Um, But I did develop quite quickly in that job and across four years I became a team leader first and then ended up as an intelligence officer. Um, I then left to train as as a financial crime investigator with the National Crime Squad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the main difference for me is that things move a lot slower in the public sector. And in that line of work, everything you do has to be done exactly as it's supposed to be done. Um, which makes total sense when you think that what you're working on is likely, you hope, to lead to some sort of prosecution. Um, it's really important that you make sure all the T's in your investigation are crossed and all the I's are dotted and everything's done exactly as it, as it should be, because you don't want to have made all the effort to gather evidence and create a case that's then dissected by a good defence lawyer because of flaws in the way that you handled the information. Um, There is a positive to law enforcement and and that sort of the public sector side is that you actually do get to see the outcomes of your efforts more so than you do in private sector. Um, Maybe maybe that's more in respect of the actual criminal prosecutions. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, most people I think that work in the financial crime world are all quite keen to, sorry to coin this phrase, but to fight the baddies and Mm -hmm. have some impact in, you know, on what's happening. And at least in the public sector, you do tend to get to see that, whereas not so much in the private sector. Um, 
I have been lucky enough to see cases where I'd worked on making sure the intelligence was going to the right law enforcement agency, um, making sure they had it timely fashion, exactly what they needed. And then they took it right through and it ended up in convictions. Mm. And that's really satisfying to know that that's um, what you achieved. Um, But when I then eventually did jump the fence and move into the private sector, I absolutely embraced the fact that we we operate on sort of principles based regulation and that allows so much room for creativity and many different options to achieve the end result um just for me it's I I like to design controls that complement and support my business so to have that flexibility to kind of say okay well We could put our main control right at the front end or we could put it in the middle or actually because the risk is quite low, we can put it at the end. It just, I really, um, it just appeals much more to my sense of personal achievement of sort of problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there are ways in which the two are similar in that we have stakeholders and we have pressures and they're just from different sources. But overall, I think we're all trying to stop financial crime and to protect the UK from becoming an economy that's attractive to money launderers and other organized criminals so we have a common goal mm-hmm. um, and it really doesn't matter which side of that fence you're sitting on we're all trying to do the same thing yeah and I guess on that note would you would you say that there's more room for private public sector collaboration on these issues Absolutely, absolutely. I could not stress this more. Um, in, in my head, and as I was making my career choices, I have an image of uh, a, a fraud prevention or financial crime prevention triangle, um, with you have the regulated sector of financial services on one side, you have intelligence agencies on the other side. I wanted to say corner, but I wasn't sure if that was technically right for a triangle. <laughs> um, and then investigating authorities are your third party. And I've worked in, in the intelligence, the investigations, and now in the regulated sector. Right. We all can't do our job without the other one. So collaboration is absolutely vital for me. Um, I'm going to say something quite sad now but um, I left the public sector in 2005 which was at the time that there was an attempt to establish the serious organized crime agency and I attended many meetings about what soccer needed to do and public private partnership was discussed then as a real key part of what one of the outcomes from soccer should be I then left um, and huddled down in um, insurance for a while but then in 2017 I attended an industry forum and this very topic was being discussed as kind of with the impression of this being a new thing Mm. and since even since then the PPP public private partnership is on everybody's agenda of all different industry forums and I kind of took a step back and said well what have you been doing for the past 12 years if we were all saying this it wasn't just me there were lots of people saying this in 2005 yet in 17 we're talking about as if it's a new thing and we're now in 22 and it's not perfect um 
we are making massive strides, particularly in certain financial um, services like banking. There's the, the joint money laundering investigations team, I think, the Gimlet. That's up and running in banking, working really well. Um, Gimlet for insurers is getting there. But the firms I've worked for, we still aren't party to this conversation. And I think we really need to be. Um, just if we're going to make bigger impacts, we all need to work together. I, I do think some of the concerns, to be fair, and to try and give a more balanced view, are around data, data privacy, data protection, information sharing. But we are quite a long way down the line from when this was first considered. So we should be able to, to work those things out, I think. Um, and maybe with the, the new data changes that are coming post-Brexit, we might have more room to be able to do it. Certainly from our perspective, it, that's key. Um, I do think your 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 triangle is very you know a very graceful way of seeing it and very clear um, and we shouldn't forget that so thank you for painting that picture and for making that that case for more um, private for more progress in this area real progress um, I guess we're reaching the end of our time uh, so I wanted to ask if there's anything else you'd like to add in terms of your personal experience working in the industry or insights that we should keep front of mind, such as this public-private partnership concept as we seek to move in the right direction as a sector? Um, so working in financial crime means we have to be quite technical at times. And I think um, one of the key skills that we need to develop is being able to translate something that's actually quite technical into language that our um, stakeholders, mostly the business, will understand. And it works, you know, vice versa. They can be talking very technical about the business. But I just think sometimes we do forget that. We all kind of operate in our little space. And, you know, I can throw in JMLSG to any one of my financial crime colleagues and everyone knows what I'm talking about. It wouldn't mean anything to somebody who was, like, breaking insurance or... Um, working with clients on share plans. Um, we also talk a lot about the hypothetical situations because our controls are there to stop those becoming actual issues. And that can make it really hard sometimes to get our voices heard, especially at this current time when firms are considering a potential recession, or I think it's slightly less than potential, but a recession, inflation, and then impacts of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and we're still there maybe going actually we've got a fraud risk over here or we've identified some money laundering over here and um, my advice is and, and clearly it's probably more me than anything is to be creative so find alternative ways of getting your message across that are engaging and interactive um, make I mean that can be training that can be communications even just when you're talking to your stakeholders, just make sure that you're doing it in a really engaging manner um, and explain the controls and your ideas for controls in a way that benefit your business. Because fundamentally, without a business, you have no risk. So always collaborate with them and consider their needs when you're building up your controls. And just to, to finish, I would add, always accept being challenged. 
I had a manager long, a long time ago, and I think I was still either at school or university, so it was a long, long time ago, mm-hmm. um, who said to me, don't challenge me. Mm. And I thought, hmm, okay, it's kind of stuck with me because I thought, well, why shouldn't I challenge you? Um, and then I now, as a leader, actively encourage people to challenge me because if I can't convince them that why I'm saying is valuable, it probably isn't. Mm. So we all need to just accept that challenge because it's your sense check, really. Absolutely. Thank you so much for um, that wisdom uh, and and for your really powerful words and um, insights on, on the state of the financial crime tech uh, sectors. Um, it's been fascinating to hear your views and perspectives. Um, and I want to thank uh, Linda so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Themis, please visit our website at www.crime.financial.com.